A man was driving along a highway and saw a big rabbit, big rabbit, jump in front of him on the road there. And, and the, the, he tried to swerve, but the rabbit just jumped in the wrong direction and poof, the guy ran over the rabbit. And uh, man, he, he couldn't believe it. The driver, who was a overly sensitive Portland man, um, <clears throat> got out of his vehicle and uh, wanted to see what had become of this, this rabbit. But much to his dismay, the rabbit was laying there dead and lifeless. And uh, the driver felt so bad, he just started to cry as these Portland guys do. Um, when a, a woman comes driving up and she sees this man weeping on the side of the road and she says, hey, what's wrong? And he said, oh, I just ran over this rabbit, you know, and I feel so bad. And she says, no problem, hold on. And she ran down to her car and reached in her purse and pulled out a can of spray, aerosol spray. And she runs up to the rabbit and the guy's like, what are you doing? She says, oh, just, just watch. And she sprays him, sprays the rabbit. And suddenly, boing, the rabbit springs back to life. And he looks at the woman and he looks at the man, the rabbit, and kind of stands there and then raises its little rabbit paw and waves, waves at him. And then he hops 10 hops, turns around and waves again. And hops 10 more times and waves again. And 10 more and 10 more and just keeps turning and waving and hopping and eventually out of sight. The guy was blown away. He said, lady, what did you spray on that rabbit? And she, she held up the can there that, uh, and she showed him the label. It said, hairspray restores life to dead hair. Adds a permanent wave. <laughs> That's my second favorite Easter story right there. I like that one a lot. Um, but. Um, what is Easter Sunday all about? Some people say it's about rabbits, eggs, uh, chocolate, ham. Uh, the ham part I'm on board with. Um, did you see the, uh, the uh, big thing? And even here in Portland, because of the shortage of eggs and how much they are, it's not about Easter eggs anymore. It's about Easter potatoes. Did you guys see this? Yeah, they're coloring here in uh, Portland, uh, Easter potatoes. They're a thing, it's, uh, this article, the, the title says, Easter potatoes are a thing, thanks to high egg prices, and that's no yolk. <laughs> oh my goodness, uh, that's gross looking. Those, uh, if I was a kid, man, our, our poor children today, they just, that's horrifying. <laughs> but the true Easter joy, shockingly, ironically comes from a tomb. Joy from a tomb? How can joy come from a tomb? There's been people who've had headstones where they were trying to be sort of lighthearted and funny. Um, this guy has a headstone in Key West, Florida, uh, and on his tombstone it says, I told you I was sick. <laughs> I like that one. Do you guys remember Mel Blanc, the voice behind Bugs Bunny and uh, you know Donald Duck and all the, our favorite, you know, we grew up here in Mel Blanc and his voice impressions. He was an amazing guy. Um, but on his tombstone, appropriately, uh, it says this, that's all, folks, <laughs> because he said that a lot in his uh, little cartoons. If you're old enough, do you, anybody you guys uh, rem remember uh, Merv Griffin? Uh, Merv Griffin, he was the one who made this, the, the saying, um, you know, we'll be right back after these messages. He, like he said that over and over again and sort of coined that phrase and was known for that. On his tombstone, when he died, um, it said, I will not be right back after this message. <laughs> That's pretty witty. I like this one. We don't know whose tombstone this is, but it says, I was hoping for a pyramid. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, a guy named John Yeast, it says, here lies John Yeast, pardon me for not rising. (laughs) But there's a tomb that I've been to many, many times in, in my own life in Jerusalem. And inscribed on that tomb door, there's a modern day door because it used to be a stone covering this tomb. But the inscription is one I love, one I'm thankful for. And it says this today in Jerusalem, it says, he is not here for he is risen. Man, I love that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best news, whether you wanna believe it or not, or whether you wanna know it or not, it's the best news that ever reached humanity. Jesus's resurrection is important and it's a big deal. You know, Resurrection Sunday is the most incredible story that starts in seemingly the most hopeless, dark, ugly situation. Can you imagine being a disciple, hanging up your fishing nets and following a guy for three years, believing that he's the Messiah? You even saw him do miracles, healing people, and you're like, man, this is the guy, and you're all excited, and you're thinking he's gonna be the king of of the Jews, and wow, this is awesome. And the next thing you know it, he's being arrested by a corrupt bunch of priests in Jerusalem, and he is being beaten beyond recognition, tortured beyond any imagination, and then ultimately taken by the Roman Empire and nailed to a cross where he had the most shameful death that you could ever imagine, that's the guy you're following. And man, what a dark day that was when Jesus died on the cross, was put in a tomb. And the disciples, they end up in the story at that point freaking out. They run for their lives and they hide in this little room in Jerusalem somewhere. They're hiding away, uh, it says, for fear of the Jews. The same Jews that killed Jesus, they're thinking, man, we're next, we're gonna hide. So they're shaking in their sandals thinking they're gonna be crucified next. And that's the dark day. And to a lot of people, if you don't have resurrection of Jesus, that's really the story of all humanity. The, The bleak, dark story that I just described, that's the story of all humanity. And, and you, you see it in some people that start to see, wow, life, what a waste. I mean, when you think about life, it starts out you're born, you don't remember your birth, but the first thing you do remember is your poopy diapers and you start remembering that you have to be fed and, and, then, and then eventually you get to where you learn to be potty trained. That's a big mark in your life. Wow, you learned how to use the toilet, congratulations. And then you also, learn to tie your shoes and you start to become more independent and you think, I'm pretty good. And your parents, well, by junior high, they're lame. Your parents are dumb and I am brilliant. (laughs) And then when you get to high school, your friends in high school remind you you're not brilliant, that you're dumber than your parents. College, you party down trying to find the fun and the joy that everybody else seems to be having. But but you know, it's all pretty empty and you realize, man, and then you say, well, what I need is a career. And so you go for a career and you start you know, trying to earn some money and make a living. And then you realize money's kind of empty and a career's empty. And if you make it to your 40 year mark and you'd have the retirement party, you get the gold watch and the plaque that says you worked for 40 years. And then you're like, that was empty. What was that all about? And then it gets worse because by that time your knees are hurting. Just to get out of bed, you're creaking. And pretty soon you feel hurt and pain. And and then after a while longer after that, pretty soon you're back in diapers. (laughs) And then you need people to take care of you again, just like you did when you were a baby. And then if you are lucky to live to 85, 90, whatever, you die and you end up in a tomb. And to a lot of people in the world, 
that's it. That's why the atheists that I know, the people that I know that are atheists are not happy people. Because if this is all there is in this world, in this life, what a waste. And sadly, because of the godless worldview of our, of our culture and our nation and, and our ideology that is around godlessness, we're seeing a new generation of young people that are more depressed than anybody in the history of the United States, the Gen Zers, the teens and the 20s. There's a group of, t- of young people that are more suicidal than we've ever seen in the history of our nation right now. In fact, you know, it started with the greatest generation, you know, the World War II generation, and that was an appropriate name. They were an amazing group of people. Then it kind of went downhill from there, from the greatest generation to the baby boomers, um, and the baby boomers, peace, love, hippies, pot. That's what they brought us, thank you. And then after the boomers came the Gen Xers. Now the reason they called us Gen Xers is because they thought these, these people, we don't even know what they're gonna end up doing. They're variable, X, Gen X. What are they gonna do? Surely nothing, they look like they're gonna do nothing. Well, then, you know, eventually my generation, the Gen Xers came around and we sort of kind of got some computer stuff going and technology and, and Gen X started becoming kind of known as sort of something, you know, and, and then after Gen X, then the millennials came and they got a bad rap at the beginning as being blue ribbon children who always got the blue ribbon and the trophy, even though they didn't do anything, participation, and they're sitting in their parents' basement playing video games all day. But now, as millennials are getting older, we're saying, well, they're not actually all that bad. The millennials, they're doing some good stuff. But unlike all the other generations, the Gen Zers, as they're calling them, they're starting to give them a new name as well. And it's really sad, if you can look this up, they're, they're calling them the Doomers, not the baby boomers, but the baby Doomers, because of doom and gloom. Because of the world situation, the Greta Thunberg type people, remember she stands in front of the world, how dare you, you've destroyed the earth and climate change and we're all gonna die because of you. And she's this angry, well now she's 20, but when she first said that, she was like 12. And she was sure that we're all gonna be dead by now because that's what they told her. And if you believe in this world without God and you see uh, perceived climate change and we're all gonna die, Al Gore told us all that 20 years ago that we were gonna be not even here 20 years ago. And people thought, oh, things are horrible. And so this has become a whole worldview called doomerism, look it up. It's a real thing and it's so sad because if this world and this life is all we have, then we're miserable people headed for the grave. But this is where Christianity tops all other world religions. People say, what's the difference between Christianity and the rest? What makes you guys better than Islam or, or you know, Buddhism or whatever? There's really a simple answer, life. Resurrection and life that comes through Jesus Christ. Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday as we celebrate it, is one of the most glorious things that we can even think about or imagine. And, and most people don't even know why. Um, and that's why we focus on the resurrection on, uh, once a year because it's so good and such a great source of joy. It really does come from the scripture that we have right here. In fact, let's, let's take a look. Matthew 28, verse six. It says in verse one, I should say, verse one through six, Matthew 28, one through six. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher, that's the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. 
His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And the women were able to see that the tomb was empty, that Jesus was no longer there. And the angel said something, this, this sentence that the angel gives is so profound and so powerful. He said, he is not here for he is risen. And I like how the angel tagged on the end there and said, as he said, and that's what we looked at last week when we spent the whole Sunday talking about the verification of the resurrection that Jesus, it's not just a claim we as Christians make, it's one of the most provable events in all the world's history. Jesus said he was gonna die. He even told them, they said, show us a sign of who you are. And Jesus said, I'll show you one sign. If you destroy this body in three days, I'll raise up from the grave. And we looked at the verification, the eyewitness accounts, the way the whole thing changed the whole world. Powerful, powerful message of the resurrection. We looked at that last time. Now, if you're new to Christianity, you might say, well, that's fine for Jesus, but so what? He rose from the grave, even if that's true, Whatever, what does that have to do with me? Well, the answer is everything. I hope you understand the link to the resurrection that you either have or you do not have. You see, there's two categories of people in this world. There's those who have the hope of heaven and eternal life through Jesus Christ. And then there are those who have no real hope of life after death. It's just that simple. The Bible teaches that very, very clearly. And that's why Jesus starts to connect the dots for you and me on this idea of why the resurrection is important. In fact, he even says it this way in John 14, verse 19, Jesus says, yet a little while and the world sees me no more, but you see me, he's talking to his disciples, Christians, but you see me because I live, you shall live also. And here's where we connect the dots. You say, well, good for Jesus, he rose from the grave. What does that have to do with me? Well, what suddenly happens when Jesus has victory over death and raises up from the grave, suddenly you and I have that power available to anyone that wants it to resurrect after you die in this body to resurrect to eternal life in your soul. Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15 kind of say the same thing, but even more clarity. Um, it says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of this, the same. Now that, that's a King James way of saying, we're all flesh and blood people and God became flesh and blood just like us. He, was, he took part of humanity the, the same way that through death, it says, he, Jesus, might destroy him that has power of death, that is the devil. Did you know that the devil has power of death? And I, I need to make a differentiation because the Bible talks about two kinds of death and, and you need to understand and, and often ask the question, what death are we talking about? There's death as you and I kind of see it. If you get you know, run over by a Portland guy who's sensitive and you die, that's death. Uh, we'd say, okay, your heart stops beating, you're six feet under pushing up daisies. That's, that's that death. But the Bible talks about a second kind of death and it's, it's, it's what happens after you die because the Bible talks about how after you die, 
your soul sort of resurrects back to either life or death. That is eternal death or eternal life. And that's an important thing for you to consider. And as it turns out, who has power over death? Satan, quiz time, question. When did Satan get power of death? Anybody wanna take a stab at that? The Garden of Eden, exactly. This guy gets some bonus points, thanks Ezra. Um, good stuff. Now, um, the thing is, um, of all that, uh, the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve chomped, remember, remember, this is, you know, the word death, it does matter which one we're talking about. And remember the Garden of Eden? God said, whatever you do, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because the day you eat of that tree, you will what? Surely die. So now we're talking about death. So Satan comes slithering along and saying, half God said to Eve, he says, half God said, the day you eat of this tree, you will die. You will not die but your eyes will be enlightened and you'll become like God. And Eve's like, I want that, enlightenment. So she takes a chomp of the apple now, or the fruit or whatever it was. Now, here's the question, who was right, God or Satan? Well, you guys are just saying that because you know God is always right. <laughs> but wait a minute, think about this. God said, the day you eat of that, you will surely die. Satan said, the day you eat of it, you will surely not die. So she takes a bite in the fruit and she doesn't die. Well, the problem here, the reason why it seems like God was wrong and Satan was right is because we're talking about a different death altogether. Dying, being hit by a truck or dying because your heart stops or whatever, that's nothing compared to eternal death in hell. That's the second death the Bible talks about. And as it turns out, that's the death God was talking about. If you eat of this fruit, humanity starts to spiral into death and all of creation starts moving toward death. The process of death and dying, eternal death and dying begins the moment you eat of that fruit and that's exactly what happened. Because as soon as they ate of the fruit, suddenly everything got really bad. There were thorns, there was death. In fact, they had to sacrifice animals to make skins. The Lord did that to make skins to cover their nakedness and it all went downhill from there. So God was right, only Satan took a, a, a twist of the words and said, you will not die, heart stop, you know, kind of death, but he, he was wrong, eternal death. By the way, that explains a lot. People try to say, why are there bad things in the world? Why is there evil in the world? Why is there injustice and disease and death? The answer, sin of man. And now who's got the power of death? Well, Satan has had it. That's what this verse says, that through death, Jesus' death, he, might destroy him, Satan, that has the power of death, that is the devil. And what does he do, verse 15? And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Have you noticed how people are in bondage to death even to this day? People are afraid of death. If you're a solid Christian who knows, man, the day I die is the best day of my life. The confident Christian who knows that there's life after death, who knows that because of Jesus's resurrection, we get to go to heaven. Man, we're not afraid of death. That's why Paul says, I don't count my life dear to myself. Why? But if that's all you have, if you're an atheist and you just die and cease to exist, then life suddenly becomes this weirdly precious thing that you're trying to keep and save as long as you can. Whatever you do, don't get sick and don't do anything dangerous and live in a life of fear and trepidation your whole life because you might die, which is final once for all. But the Christian says, yeah, whatever. This life is just but a vapor and we have heaven to look forward to. 
You see, the resurrection raised two main, main questions when it happened. The first question is, how do you know it's true? That's what we covered last week. The second question is, what does it mean for you and for me? And the resurrection means so much. In fact, the first thing that it means actually reaches back to number one, how do we know it's true? One of the things the resurrection means, uh, I'm gonna go over some benefits. You guys wanna uh, kind of track with me on some benefits of the resurrection? What, what, what does it have to do with me, you might say? Well, the first benefit of the resurrection is that Christ is proven to be who he claimed to be. Proof positive that he was the Messiah, that Jesus is God in the flesh who died and had power over death because he rose from the grave. And again, we covered that last week. Romans chapter one says, and Jesus declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. What declared Jesus as the son of God with power? Um, his resurrection declared that. Proof positive. Again, Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, they did nothing to prove their claims. Only Christianity, Jesus is the one who said, here's proof positive. There was a funny story from 1815 in France, the originator of a new religion. He was making up a new religion and trying to get followers, but was somewhat unsuccessful. So he went to one of the smartest guys in the town there, who was a guy named Charles um, Maurice de Talleyrand, Perigord, fancy, fancy, fancy guy. This guy's been known to be brilliant, smart. So this brilliant sage was the guy you went to with questions. So this guy that was coming up with a new false religion said, man, I'm struggling to make any converts. What would you suggest I do? He asked. I should recommend, Talleyrand said, that you get yourself crucified, then die, but make sure and rise the third day. <laughs> I can picture that dude saying such a thing. But that's the difference between true religion and fake false religion. And this is what we looked at last week and the verification of Jesus' claims. And you can go back and catch up on that one if you missed it. But another benefit uh, with the resurrection is proving Christ's sovereignty and his lordship over life and death. That Christ is powerful. In fact, it's Romans 14, nine. It says, for to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. Now, when we look at this word dead, are we talking about dead getting hit by a truck or dead eternal death in hell? It's the eternal death in hell one. And who's the Lord of life or death after death? Eternal death, eternal life, who's the Lord of that? Jesus is because this, this is the end or the reason for the resurrection. To this end, he both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord of the living and of the dead. The word Lord there is an interesting word that might freak some of you out, especially in our culture. I've noticed that even in the church of Jesus Christ, people are like, you're not the boss of me. I don't have to submit to anyone. I'm the, I'm the controller of my life. Don't tell me what to do. Like that's our culture. But you know, uh, just a little newsflash for you. The older you get, the longer you live, you're gonna realize you are gonna submit to someone. You're gonna serve somebody. Um, and you might think, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna serve Jesus and I'm not gonna serve you know, Buddha or, or Satan or anything. I'm gonna serve myself. Well, all the other things, if you're not serving Jesus, serving anything else, including yourself, defaults down to serving Satan. Do you guys remember, if you're old enough, old Bob Dylan in the 1970s, he wrote that song and it went like this. 
Um, but I'll translate for you. I like Bob Dylan. But it was a great song. You guys remember? Um, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord, but you're still going to have to serve somebody. And he was right about that. That old song was right. You will serve somebody. And, and, and again, you're, you might be one of these people, I, I don't care about serving anybody. I, I'm going to serve myself. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let anybody control my life. Well, you know what? Can I just give you a little nudge and a recommendation? You're going to serve somebody, but guess what? God gives you the choice whether you're going to serve the devil or the Lord. And can I recommend lovingly to serve Jesus? See, the word Lord here is kind of an interesting word. In the Greek text of the original Bible, the New Testament, the word Lord, the Greek word there is a hard word to pronounce, kairiuo, which means to rule, lord over, to be the master of and have authority over. And this verse is telling us that Jesus Christ has lordship over life and death eternal. He's the Lord of all, sovereign. Jesus Christ is sovereign. The word sovereign is kind of the same thing. Supreme power and authority is sovereignty. And Jesus has that. But as it turns out, he says, you can serve me as your Lord and savior, or you can serve the devil, but you're gonna have to serve one or the other. So as a pastor, can I nudge you to serve Jesus? And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is compassionate, long-suffering and patient, his mercy endures forever and he loves you so much. In fact, Christ demonstrated his love for you that he became a man, lived among us and died on a cross torturously for you. That's the Lord of our life. That's why we as Christians say, man, I am happy to have Christ as my Lord and my savior, to have him be the master and have authority over my life. And there's nothing better than making that decision to have Christ be your Lord and your savior. The resurrection proves that Jesus has that kind of sovereignty, lordship, that you can just accept Christ and understand he is the master of my life. I'm gonna follow him rather than follow Satan. That's the way of life rather than the way of death. So the, the first benefit, the resurrection proves that he is who he claimed to be. The second benefit is that he, it shows his sovereignty over life and death, eternal life and over eternal death. The third benefit comes from this verse in Romans 4.25, and it deals with justification. It says, Jesus Christ, who was delivered for our offenses, that's sins, and was raised again for our justification. The word justification there is the operative word. Um, it's one of my favorite doctrinal words. Do you, um, you ever read doctrinal statements of you know, predestination, divine election, justification, redemption, propitiation. Like there's all kinds of doctrinal words. Well, this one, justification, it, it really means this. It's an act of God whereby he pronounces a sinner like you or a sinner like me, he pronounces us righteous, like we were perfect. He's the judge who pronounces you sinless. You're like, how does that happen? through justification. It's an act of God whereby he pronounces the sinner to be righteous because that sinner puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you do that, then you become justified. Uh, maybe you've heard me say justification equals just as if you've never sinned at all. Justification, just as if you never sinned. See, that's not the definition, but it does tell what justific justification does. Justification makes you as if you'd never sinned at all. I don't know about you, but I got enough sins to last a lifetime and then some. 
And what's, a, what's so good about being a, becoming a Christian is he remembers your sins no more, he forgives you, and the Lord says, I'm going to justify you, declared you, declare you righteous. And this verse says, he did this, he was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Had Jesus not raised up from the grave, you and I would not be justified. We'd still be in our sins and we'd be in big trouble. So man, whether it's sovereignty of Jesus, justification by Jesus, the resurrection proves that Jesus was who he claimed to be. The fourth benefit is that our very salvation that saves you, it sticks, it lasts. It can't be shaken off. I mean, when you think about stuff that lasts or doesn't last, there's very few things in this world that lasts. Man, you get that shiny new car, new car smell, it's great, right up until you go through the McDonald's drive-thru. It ruins the new car smell from the very get-go. You smell like greasy fries from that day forward. Um, man, you've ruined it. And then that car, your leather seats get sort of worn out and then pretty soon you get a hole because one of the kids slid in their you know, box of stuff in there and, and pretty soon you got ripped carpet. And then, and then also the motor starts getting bad and eventually, if you've lived long enough, your car goes kaput. Uh, that's life and that's pretty much everything. In fact, it's, it's part of the laws of physics, the second law of thermodynamics. Everything goes from order to disorder. That's just the way. But I love that you and I when we talk about what Jesus did and his resurrection, it's a promise that's lasting and it sticks. And even you and your sins can't shake it. What do you mean, Brett? Well, this is where we read about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he hath caused us to be born again. And, and I want you to remember those two words, born again. That we're going to talk about that in a second. That's a big deal in the Bible, being born again. So it's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Again, Jesus is the only living hope. Muhammad's a dead hope. Joseph Smith, dead hope. Uh, Krishna, dead hope. All these religious leaders and starters of new religions, dead, dead, dead. But Jesus, he's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Two, what are we risen to? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. For you to receive an inheritance, what's something that needs to happen for you to receive an inheritance, say from a great uncle or a grandfather? Or what, what, what needs to happen to get that inheritance? Anybody? Somebody's got to die. And you know, it's funny, as a pastor of many years and done a lot of funerals and helped people through, you know, wills and stuff, I found that a lot of the inheritances, even if it's money, it's such a bummer. It's always a bummer. People get mad at each other and siblings argue. And, and then if, if grandpa left you the barn with all the, what he thought were treasures, um, but you went in there and you got, you got oh, you got the, the pole barn, great. You go in there, wow, I'm gonna have to eBay all this junk. And you're not gonna get anything for it. Well, but, but your grandpa told you, well, I got this computer. It was $5,000 when I bought this computer back in 82. <laughs> it's just inheritances of this world really aren't all that great. But the inheritance that we get from Christ, you see, that's that, that second part of this, the living hope that we have to an inheritance that is what? Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and it's kept for you in heaven. And when the Bible says something's kept for you in heaven, they're not gonna lose it. 
You're not gonna get to heaven and go, I'm here, I made it, I was a Christian, I accepted Jesus. Oh man, our, our documents here don't show uh, that you have an inheritance. Sorry, our bad, oh well. No, there's an there's a inheritance for anyone who's born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. The point that I'm making is salvation sticks and it works and it keeps on working. You might think, well, Brett, I accepted Jesus when I was in fifth grade, and, but when I was in junior high, man, in high school, I started sinning and I'm not even sure I'm really saved. You gotta understand, when you are born again, that's an event, by the way, when you're born again, that's an event that means you're saved to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ, where you have an inheritance in heaven that's lasting. And everybody needs some kind of hope, and this is the best hope that's real. It's a real hope, a living hope. Um, an inheritance that means we get to have that salvation and heaven. But fifth benefit that also comes from the resurrection is that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that raises you and me up from the grave. The reason I say that is it takes power to do that, to raise up after you're dead, to raise up from the grave. And it's not in your power that that's gonna happen. We read that plainly uh, there in Romans eight eleven, where it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If you're a Christian, if you've been born again, again, we'll get to that in a second, but if you've been born again, the spirit of God is now in you and that same powerful spirit that's in you is the same spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead. That's what happens. The, the believer has the spirit of God in them. Paul said, what, don't you know you, that your body is a temple to the Holy Ghost? That same spirit is the one that raises you up to eternal life. And basically every blessing from, you know, if you would, the silver thread of the resurrection runs through all the blessings of the Bible from your very salvation onward to your eternal glory in heaven but that binds it all together. The resurrection of Christ, without that, no good thing would happen. But because of the resurrection, we get to have life eternal. Job and his buddies in Job 14, 14 asked, when a man dies, will he live again? They were trying to figure that out. Is there life after death? And this has been a question that has challenged people throughout all of history. Mary and Martha's brother died and they were sad. When Jesus made his way to Bethany on the way, Martha ran up to him, oh, Jesus, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus said something that was pretty profound to her and, and I'm not sure she knew exactly what to say. Jesus said unto her, verse 25 of John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asks her the question, believest thou this, Martha? Do you believe this? Do you guys remember Martha's answer? It was kind of funny. She sort of hymns and haws. She's like, um, well, yeah, I mean, I believe in the resurrection that you know, once you die, the body, you know. And she kind of goes into this thing, but she doesn't just absolutely say, yes, I absolutely believe that you are the resurrection and life. See, Jesus is making a massive, huge claim right here. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, um, he's not saying, I'll show you the resurrection or I'll hope that you raise up from the grave. Jesus is really saying, I am the embodiment of the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, 
Though you were dead, yet shall he live. This lines up with everything. The famous verse of the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Because Jesus, if you believe in him, it says this. If you believe in me, Jesus said, though you were dead, yet shall you live. Believest thou this, Athe Creeker? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave and that he's not just a way to heaven, but he is the resurrection and the life. He's the embodiment of resurrection power. That's what the Bible teaches. And this is the most important question today, right here, right now, that every person has to answer. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? People like to say, you know, in our culture, oh yeah, we're all God's children. There's this kind of ecumenical thing. Oh, we're all, you know, Muslims and Christians, we're all the same and we worship really the same God. No, that's a lie from Satan who would love to confuse things. He's the author of confusion. You are not all in the world children of God. Oh, we're all God's creation and and it's true enough, God loves us all. God loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son but we are not all God's children. To be called God's child, you first you have to make sure God is your father. And to make sure that God is your father, God will not become your father until you're born into his family. Well, Brett, how can I change who I'm born in? Well, that's where this born again idea comes in. We were born into the Adam and Eve world. We were born into sin and death and destruction and disease and all kinds of stuff. That's where we were born. That was physical birth into eternal death. But because of Christ who died and won back power over death from Satan on the cross, suddenly you have a chance to not just have that bad option of death and hell, but you can become a child of God and part of God's family. And God doesn't send, doesn't allow his children to be thrown into hell. What makes you a child of God? Jesus taught this to Nick at night. The TV show it? No. Nicodemus, the Pharisee who came to Jesus at nighttime. There in John chapter three. And as Nicodemus was trying to figure out the whole Jesus thing, Jesus said, verily, verily, which is a way of saying, man, this is really, really true what I'm about to say and important. He says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I, w- I wanna stress the importance of this because people don't talk about being born again enough. I'm, I'm pretty convinced of this. Christians, we talk about saved, salvation, heaven and stuff. That's all good. But the idea of being born again, would you agree if you just take this verse right here, is being born again important? Because it says, if you're not born again, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, which is another way of saying you cannot see heaven. So if I were you, I'd be really interested in what does it mean to be born again? Well, Nicodemus hears Jesus say this, you must be born again. And he says, Oh man, you mean you gotta climb back into your mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus said, oh, are you really a teacher in Israel? That's what he said, it's a true story. He was supposed to be one of the smartest guys in the, in the town. And Jesus said, are you kidding? You don't know the answer to this? But Jesus talked about being born of the flesh versus being born of the spirit. And while all of us, every one of us experience physical birth, but the Bible talks about a spiritual birth. You have a birthday that people celebrate when you were born in your physical birth. The question I would ask, do you have a birthday of spiritual birth? When you became part of the family of God, 
Was he your father? And are you a child of God because you did what you needed to do to become? Well, the Bible even says we are adopted. It's a doctrine of adoption. You and I have been taken into the family of God if, if you have come to a place to acknowledge you're a sinner and you need to repent of your sins and accept the work of the cross and believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave. And when you make that confession and have that belief, you then are suddenly born spiritually again. You're a rebirthed new person in Christ and you have a new birthday. See, I, I do worry about sometimes people saying, well, uh, I, I've been going to church all my life. I, I, you know, I've listened to sermons and took notes and you know, I gave to the United Way and I don't kick the dog and I'm a, a pretty nice guy. And so I think I'm pretty much saved. I'm a child of God. Well, I'm not, don't be so quick about that. Were you ever born again? Did you ever accept the work of the cross and believe? Are you really called a child of God? First John 3, 1 and 2 tells us this. It says, behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us or bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. By the way, do you ever feel like a Christian these days as, as a Christian, people look at you and go, what's weird? What, what's wrong with you, Christian? They don't get us what we believe. Don't be surprised by that. They didn't get Jesus either. And Jesus, you know, his word tells us this. He says, you know, he, we're called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not because it knew him not. So don't be shocked when the world doesn't get you. Beloved, verse two, now we are the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him or we shall see him as he is. Boy, I look forward to that. I wanna be more like Jesus, but I fail at that every single day. I wanna be more like Jesus, but I have something I look forward to because for those of us who have been born again and are called the children of God, there's a day coming when we see him, we will be like him. That's gonna be a glorious time. I look forward to that. Okay, Brett, so I got it. You're talking about all this stuff, the resurrection. It shows that God is sovereign through his son, Jesus, who he raised up from the grave, proving his claims of who he is, but also providing justification, just as if we'd never sinned. Plus it proves, the resurrection proves that it's gonna last because it's not based on works that you and I do, but the work that he did on the cross, that he died and he rose from the grave. That's all great for you religionists and Christians, but I'm kind of happy the way I am. I like living my life, you guys be Christians, and I believe, like you, that God is love and gracious and merciful, and if he is love and gracious, then he'll just sneak me into heaven and I'll go to heaven and I'll see you there when we get there, and you know, we can take our many paths that we wanna to take to heaven. Well, can I just tell you, you better hope you're right on that, even though the Bible says totally the opposite. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth of life. No man comes to the Father which is in heaven, but by me, exclusivity. The world says that's narrow-minded to say that you have to go through Jesus to be saved, but that's what the Bible teaches. There's an old Indiana tombstone, speaking of tombstones, in Indiana, there's this kind of creepy graveyard where this big old ominous grave is, um, but it's a big one. And, and the inscription, the epitaph says this, pause stranger when you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I, as I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Well, the old tombstone, somebody took a rock and scratched on the bottom section underneath that inscription. It said, to follow you, I'm not content. 
until I know which way you went. <laughs> you see, when you die, you will either resurrect to life or resurrect to death, eternal death. Which way are you gonna go? Do you know where you're gonna go? The question is, have you been born again? And if you're one to say, not good for you guys, you can do your thing. But you have to understand that rejecting Jesus and not accepting the cross and his death and burial and resurrection, you really have not chosen, uh, made the right choice. You're choosing death over life. And, and, and you say, well, why does God do that? It's interesting. I believe God wants to be the perfect gentleman. He doesn't force his love on you. He doesn't make you believe. You can do whatever you want. And people say, well, if God is love, he doesn't send me to hell. God is love and he won't send you to hell, but if you can send yourself there pretty easy by just being stubborn and not accepting the love of Christ from the cross and his resurrection. And so this idea of the resurrection, you say, Brett, well, then what do I need to do? If I wanna be born again, what does that look like? Well, it's, it's, I mean, we're talking about heavy stuff and some of you are like already, uh, justification and children of God and I don't know about all this. Well, let's boil it down. It's so simple. I love it. Even a three-year-old can get this. I love it. The first thing the Bible really makes clear and you need to know is first, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, the Bible says, not even one person. Um, that's the first thing you gotta get. Because then you gotta repent of that and say, I am a sinner and I acknowledge that I am just that, not righteous, I fall short. And the brutal part is that there's a wage, a cost for your sin. And that's where Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But then the good news comes in the second half of Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, eternal death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the good news. A gift, it's a gift that God wants to give you. All you've gotta do is receive the gift, take it. How do you do that? Well, that's where we get into Romans chapter 10. That whole chapter explains everything pretty clearly, but in the simplest of terms, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And calling on the name of the Lord, the name also equals his nature and character and what he said and what he did. Um, to make it even more clear, I mean, this is kind of the gospel in a nutshell. You're a sinner. The cost of sin is eternal death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, born again. How do you do that? Romans 10, verse nine and 10, I think this is the final verse I'll show you that just really clarifies it clearly. If you confess with your mouth, component number one, you gotta confess with the mouth, confession is made you know, to salvation. So it's, number one, confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and number two component, believe in your heart. The word heart in the Bible means your soul, your inner man, yourself, your part of you that thinks and feels inside of you. Some even uh, translate that word psyche, the, the inner person. So you confess with your mouth, but you also believe in your, part, your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Why is that the, the thing that's required? What if, he, what if you just say, I believe Jesus died on the cross? Um, well, you're not really encompassing the whole thing. When you say, I believe that Jesus rose from the grave, you're also saying, I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and proved all those things we talked about because he rose from the grave. So, so that's the requirement. To be born again, you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus up from the dead. And it says, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, man believes to righteousness. That's that justification. And with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. 
that's saved from hell, going to heaven. Why would anyone not accept such a glorious gift? It's only a stubborn, stingy human person that says, I don't need that, I can do it myself. Oh, it's such a dastardly way of thinking. When we have a loving Jesus who came and died and rose again and then says, I'll offer for free for you to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, accept what I've done that you might have eternal life. May no one miss that beautiful, glorious opportunity to be saved. And may the Lord give us ears to hear what his spirit says to his church. Would you pray with me? Let's close uh, with, uh, uh, we're gonna close with a, a song and a prayer. So I'm gonna have the band come up and they're gonna do one more song. And, and please don't leave. Uh, you're gonna miss a really fun song to sing with. If, you're gonna, if you leave, you're, you're missing out. Um, but I also wanna ask for you to bow your heads right now and pray with me. And, and with heads bowed, Christians, would you be in prayer? And I wonder if there might be some of you who have never been born again. Maybe you've, for various reasons, maybe you've never heard the gospel, or maybe you've been to church all your life, but you wonder, do I have a spiritual birthday where I repented and I confessed my faith that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave? Because if you haven't, can I recommend that you do such a thing right now? Because the Bible says the mouth is, you make confession to salvation and your heart believes to righteousness. If that's you and you wanna do that, I'm not gonna sign you up for a membership of a church. We don't have a membership officially because I'm one who believes if you accept Jesus Christ, you are a member of his church, capital C. And you're part of the church once you accept Christ and become a Christian. And when you do that, that means your sins are forgiven and that you get to go to heaven. The day you die will be the best day of your life because you have heaven to look forward to because you're born again, part of God's family. Um, if that's you and you wanna do that, I'm gonna ask this one thing of you while everybody else is praying and heads are bowed. If that's you, would you simply look up at me and give me a quick wave and say, Brett, that's me, I wanna do that. And I wanna just connect with you guys that are saying yes to salvation right now. Anybody at all, let me just look around. You right there, good man, good man. And you right there, awesome. And over here, great. And you, that's good. Don't let me miss you. I'm gonna just kind of look around. I don't wanna miss anybody. Anybody over there in this area? Right over here, yeah, good, good, good. I see you right here, thank you. Way in the back, I see you. And all you guys back there, that's great. And you, you, good. Over here, yes. And you guys, awesome, good, good. I'm gonna pray the prayer of confession of faith. It's such a joy to pray this with you guys. And the whole church, we'd like to pray this out loud with you. And if you make this confession of faith, Christ knows this, hears you and saves you. So let's do this, let's pray together out loud. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose up from the grave and that I'm forgiven. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ, 